You are listening to Your Blessed Life Podcast, episode number 25. Let the stories and teachings of today's top Christian leaders inspire and move you to releasing God's best for your life. With your host, best-selling author and certified Christian life coach, Jay Marsh. Welcome to Your Blessed Life. Welcome to the show. Hey there, my name is Jay Marsh. It's great to get to be here with you today. Welcome to Your Blessed Life. So today in episode 25, I want to extend a notion of truth that Pastor Will Davis Jr. and I spoke about last week in episode 24. So in that episode, I asked Will a bunch of, I thought were kind of cool questions because they probably put him on his heels a little bit to uh, challenge him. And one of those questions, which Will did an awesome job of answering these, but one of the questions that I asked him was, why should someone, why should me, why should you trust the Bible? I mean, this is a question I think people are asking. I, I know it is because I have conversations with people about this. You know, Jay, I hear all that Bible study and Jesus stuff and Bible stuff, but you know what? How, do you, how can you believe all that? It's just written by man. It's just a bunch of books. You know, there's lots of books that say other things. How can I believe that the Bible is real? That how can I trust it? You know, sometimes I think that that we are asking this in our own head, and I know for a fact that other times we're asking it out loud. In fact, I remember for myself asking that out loud. And I think it's one of those questions that needs to be asked. I think it's one of those questions that you need to ask. If the answer to this question is important to you, then you need to seek it out. So let me ask you the same question. Why should you trust the Bible? And you know, when, when I think of that question, the awesomeness about this question is found in the answer. Because the answer does these three amazing things. And these three things will bless you big time. They'll increase, fortify, and prepare. And what I mean by that is it will increase your faith. It will fortify you, and it'll prepare you. It'll prepare you so when others ask you that same question, why do you trust the Bible, you'll have an answer. Not just a, a response that is canned or out of a book or something that is true to you from the inside out. Several years ago, I think it was 17, 16, 17 years ago, I was already a you know card-carrying member of the body of Christ. I was a Christian. But you know what? That was about it. I had my I had my moments, but I was pretty much living on the proverbial roller coaster of the flesh. You ever been on that roller coaster? I mean, I was up one minute, down the next, up and down, up and down. I mean, I went to church on occasion. I prayed once in a great while, and I read the Bible here and there, but these things were, they were really exceptions for me. They, they weren't the norm. But, you know, over the years, I found myself doing different things that would help strengthen my faith and get me on track and, and help me to stay focused. And one of those things was attending a small Bible study. This particular Bible study 
that I'm recalling some 16, 17 years ago was led by this awesome guy, just an, a wonderful man of God. His name is Rich Perry. And so Rich gave us this assignment. And I don't remember exactly what the assignment was, but what I remember is where the assignment led me to. It led me down this journey to prove for me that the Bible was legit. And what was, what was interesting is that this journey that I was on, that I was seeking to really legitimize that the Bible was for real, it was for me. It wasn't for him. It wasn't for Rich. It wasn't for anybody in this Bible study. It was for me. And looking back at it, what I see is it gave me an opportunity to invest myself into this process of finding out what the Bible was for me. And so during this process, it allowed me to get you know, more into the Word, into the Bible, the written Word. And it encouraged me and moved me to begin praying about my findings, about the things that I was finding out. It brought me to conversations with others. It brought me to start reading books on the topic. And in fact, when I think of books, I'm going to mention this guy's name and I will put his contact information in the show notes because if this if this topic here that we're talking about today in this episode intrigues you, Lee Strobel is an awesome place to continue this dialogue. Lee Strobel and I'll put his he's a he's got a legal background, he's got an investigative background, he's also a pastor now, but he was seeking the truth from a kind of from a legal standpoint, from a factual standpoint. So he does an amazing job of laying the facts and giving you the facts and helping you to establish your faith in some awesome facts. So I'll put his info in the show notes on the website. But, you know, I began to stretch and grow in my spiritual walk is, is what I'm alluding to when I say I started to, you know, get more into the word. I, I started praying about the things that I was finding and started reading books, having conversations. I was really growing in my spiritual walk. But you know what? I was stumbling along the way. I was tripping. Let me tell you, I fell down on more than one occasion, if you catch my drift. I had, I had not arrived anywhere, nor have I, nor have I still. It's still a, a journey, right? But I, I began to develop a desire. And I began to develop a desire to pursue the truth. And what I came to find out is that the Bible, although it was written by man, and this is a big but, it was divinely inspired by God. And it's interesting to me how one of the most controversial books of all time is also still to this day, the best-selling book in history. You know, many people believe that the Bible is basically just a collection of, of stories and myths. If it does contain some history, is there any way that we can trust it completely? And I think that's a valid question. You know, it's not like it's this one seamless book. Although it's viewed as one book, as we know, it's a collection of books. It's a compilation of 66 books. And these 66 books are what we know as the canon, the compilation, the canon of Scripture. And so the fact that it was written, you know, some 1500 plus years ago by 40 different authors all over the world, spread out over, you know, Africa, Asia, Europe, 
I mean, just that right there is enough for me to think or for maybe any casual onlooker to shake their head in disbelief and say, yeah, no, no, that's, there's no congruency there. There's a, that's pretty random. So, you know, when we see stuff like that, that looks to be so difficult in establishing congruency and truth, where do we start this journey to determine if the Bible can be trusted? And yet this is a subject that can go deep and it can go in multiple directions. And I expect that, that we'll come back to this topic again in the future so we can expand on it in another episode. And, and maybe that would even be a fun episode to bring a guest in to discuss. But for now, I'm going to just look at some physical evidence. Let us look at some, some evidence that really, really will substantiate the claims that the Bible makes. Or my claim, for me, that the Bible is in fact the inherent Word of God. And you know, when I, when I think of that uh, little fact for me, that the Bible is in fact the inherent Word of God, I think about this. The more I know, the more I agree. And that little statement became true for me because the more I looked, the more I studied, the more I experienced the Word of God, the more I believed it to be true. You know, as historians and scientists and even biblical scholars come together and they compare evidence and archaeological findings those conclusions that they, they, they come up with, they don't conflict with the relevance and the accuracy of the Bible. They support it. And when I think of that evidence that supports it, it makes me think of this one big piece that supports it. Uh, and so we're going to talk about just this one piece so we can, we, can dive, we can dive deep into this one point and then maybe come back in another episode on some other findings. But this one finding, it will provide us, you know, archaeological, historical, scientific, and definitely prophetic findings that come together and that will support the overall big picture of the Bible. And that finding is the Dead Sea Scrolls. So in 1947, these scrolls were found and there were fragments from like every book in the Old Testament, except for Esther. And they say, scholars say that they suspect that Esther was missing in these findings because of either the, the writings disintegrated over time or they just hadn't been found. And when I say disintegrated, because these Dead Sea Scrolls that they found, when they did the scientific verification and testing on them, they were over 1,920 years old. That's ludicrous to think something could even exist that long, which makes me think from the very beginning that maybe God wanted us to find them. Hello? <laughs> so these scrolls were written between like 250 B.C. and 68 A.D. And the finding of these scrolls, they confirm many writings. But I want, like I was saying, I want us to focus on, on one. So we're, we're talking about the scrolls. Now let's talk about one major thing within the scrolls. And what I want to talk about is the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And so this found book amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's been verified to be 99% a duplicate 
of the same book that you and I read in our Bible in Isaiah. And it's titled Isaiah. Here's where it gets even more interesting. We're laying down some things. We're stacking some things that look like coincidence here. But the more you stack coincidence, the more you realize it's not coincidence. So the only complete book of the Hebrew Bible that was preserved amongst these found Dead Sea scrolls and manuscripts is Isaiah. So this copy that they found dated to the first century BC, it's considered the earliest Old Testament manuscript still in existence. And so of all the writings that could have been found, of all the writings to be fully intact, or at least 99% intact, Isaiah was the one that was found. And the significance and the relevance that it was Isaiah is staggering. You see, this book written by the major prophet, Isaiah, is touted as the mini Bible itself. It's the mini Bible within the Bible. And like the definition, when, when you hear that word major prophet, what really that means is you have a vast amount of content, lots of content that has a huge ripple effect. It has global in, implications. So this book of Isaiah, the mini Bible, as it's called, so the Bible contains these 66 books, right? We talked about that. You've got 39 in the Old Testament. You've got 27 in the New Testament for a total of 66. Well, in Isaiah, you have 66 chapters. The first 39, like the Old Testament, are filled with judgment, really for an immoral and idolatrous people of the time. While Isaiah's final 27 chapters like the 27 books found in the New Testament, they declare a message of hope. They declare the message of the Messiah that will be coming, a Savior that is sovereign to not only bear a cross, but to wear a crown as king. So this, this is revelation. I mean, this is revelation that points not only to the significance of the Old Testament, but that of the New Testament. And, here, and I'll tell you why. Many of the most notable prophecies found in the Bible are in the book of Isaiah. So I want to share a few of them with you because they're amazing. So let's look at just a few of these. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, The Christ will be born of a virgin. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel, or God with us. So in the New Testament, this prophecy is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. And in verses 18, 24, and 25, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they had come together, you know, before they, had, before they were intimate, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. So Joseph did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary into his home to be his wife, just like they had planned. But he had no union with her. He had no relations with her until she gave birth to her son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So isn't that interesting? So let's look at another one. So another scripture in Isaiah is in chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. 
And this is part of the ministry of, of Christ's miracles in Isaiah. And it goes like this. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Kind of sound familiar? Well, it should, because in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 11, it's fulfilled. That prophecy is fulfilled. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. And here's what I want you to say. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Wow. So the last one we'll look at is in Isaiah 53. And in verses 5 and 6, it says... Christ died for humanity's sins, basically. And the way it went is, he, Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. So that's, that's in Isaiah. And then we move over to the New Testament and we see that prophecy fulfilled in John. So in chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. You know, in Luke chapter 20, no, chapter 18, in verse 31 and 33, Jesus took his 12 disciples aside and he told them this. He said, we're going to Jerusalem. And everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He knew exactly what he was doing, didn't he? So he basically said, you know, I'm going to be handled, handed over to the Gentiles. And they're going to you know, mock him and spit on him and insult him and flog him and eventually kill him. But on the third day, he was going to rise again. And in John chapter 19, verses 1 through 3, it says, Pilate took Jesus and he flogged him. Okay, so we see the, again, I, I know, I just wanted to share this one more with you. We see the, the, the fleshing out of this prophecy that we just read. The pilot took Jesus and he flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. You know, they're mocking him. They struck him in the face and they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to this place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. And that's where they crucified him. So, I mean, that was, that's just a handful of Old Testament prophecies in the book of Isaiah, just a few in the book of Isaiah that are found to be fulfilled in the New Testament. And I want to share this amazing statistic with you that I think, I hope at least, will drive this point of prophecy home. But before I do, let me, let me just take a, a break here for just a second. I want to take just a moment and check in with you. And I hope you're enjoying the, the show so far. I hope this episode is connecting with you, and I hope it's making you ask questions. And I hope it's touching your heart to seek out those answers. 
you know, I want to invite you to subscribe to the show. It's something that's easy to do. You can do it while you're even listening to this episode. If you're on our website at yourblessedlife.com, you just click on that purple square button on the episode page. And if you're listening to it in iTunes, there's a rectangular purple button right next to the podcast image that says subscribe. When you hit that subscribe button, you'll be set up to receive the very next episode of the show. So I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the show today. And thank you for, for doing that. Okay, so we were talking about this amazing statistic, right, that I want to share with you and that I hope will drive this point home of prophecy. Here, here it is. In the book of Isaiah, all by itself, you know, there's at least 20 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus, that have come true. And in fact, some biblical scholars would even suggest that over the, over the uh, compilation of the entire Old Testament, there's 300 plus prophecies about Christ alone. So if you kind of have that mental picture, here's the chances of just one of these prophecies coming true. And it's equivalent to this amazing example. Okay, so picture this. Picture the, the state of Texas. Okay, so just, you know, Texas is big. Just to give you an idea how big it is, it's 268,597 square miles. Big, right? So picture Texas. Now picture in your mind that each of those square feet are piled two feet high with silver dollars. Okay, so you have every square inch of Texas, every square mile of Texas is filled with a silver dollar, and they're stacked on top of each other two feet high. Within those stacks of two feet high silver dollars, you hide one red. So you get a red marker and you paint it red, both sides, one of these silver dollars. And you hide it somewhere within all those silver dollars. And then imagine finding that one red colored painted silver dollar on the very first try. That, my friend, is some amazing odds. I mean, to think that just one Old Testament prophecy aligns itself and is fulfilled in the New Testament, just that's pretty amazing. But when you consider the fact that the number is actually in the multiple of hundreds. I mean, I, I can see if you might consider that one of the prophecies being fulfilled came down to coincidence, even though we, we just saw that example of, of what that means and, and real, real example. But hundreds being fulfilled? I mean, that can only point back to the hand of God. And I don't know about you, but I find this to be such an interesting topic. And you know what? We've barely scratched the surface of it. But when you continue your search for truth, you will come to find out that the more you look into these geographical names and places and even the cultural details that have been confirmed by historians and archaeologists and, and biblical scholars, the more that you'll see this amazing tapestry this amazing puzzle that's come together by the hand of God. Piece by piece, you'll see 
you'll begin to see the revelation of God because that's what the Word of God is. That's what the Bible is. It's the revelation of God. It's the it's Him manifesting Himself before our very eyes through the written Word. You know, all of these facts and figures are pretty impressive. But what puts the proverbial icing on the cake, I haven't even got to yet. And it's the impact that the scriptures made in, in our lives, in the lives of those who believe it, and in the lives of those who follow it. I mean, these are the people's lives that have become renewed and even transformed into totally new creations. Not by just mere words that are found in some random book, but by divine revelation from God. And, you know, this impact, it can be found in the hearts and in the lives of each and every believer, in your heart, in my heart. So as you begin to take inventory of all the wonderful things that Christ has done for you, as you begin to set your sights on the many promises that he has in store for you, I want you to remember this, I call it a charge that we find in 1 Peter. And this charge helps us to take a stand to know what we believe in. It helps us to take a stand and believe in what you know. And it goes like this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you with gentleness and with reverence. Boom. I love that verse. That verse prepares my mind. It prepares my heart for what I believe, but to do it in a way that's full of gentleness and reverence and it's moving toward the hope and really the promises that God has for me. Bless Nation, I'm so grateful for our time together today. It's an honor to get to be your, your host, your guide, your coach, as we move down the path of your blessed life. And Bless Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, I want to ask you, would you leave us a review? In fact, when you do, please leave me your name. I mean, if you're comfortable leaving me your first and last name, all the better, but even just your first name, because I want to, I want to personally thank you on an upcoming episode. And today, I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to Mitch. So I mentioned, I think I mentioned Mitch's name in an episode or two ago. But you know, I thought I was looking at some other reviews that I got, and I was reading Mitch's again, and it was just blowing my mind. So Mitch, I know you didn't leave your last name. Perfectly cool. I know you signed off with Mitchology. So Mitchology, thank you so much for such amazing and supporting words. And I want to share these words with Bless Nation. This is what Mitch said. So in his little subtitle, he put, truly what the title says. And he's referring to the title of the show, Your Blessed Life. So Mitch says, I gladly admit that my life has been blessed amazingly since I started listening and tuning in to this podcast. The Blessed Life Every Week. Don't know how I found it, but my but by destiny, I just so happened to stumble upon a program and a pastor who graciously blesses us with divine wisdom, knowledge, understanding, principles, which helps me to receive my inheritance and to possess 
our promised possessions, and everything grace has made available to me by faith. Your teachings are very informative, potent, powerful, plentiful, (laughs) yet plain enough for me to understand and to comprehend and to apply in my everyday life. Grace and peace be multiplied to you and yours exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that you can ask, imagine, hope for in the mighty name of Jesus. I mean, my goodness, I couldn't have told him to write anything any better. I don't know Mitch, but man, am I grateful for you. Thank you for taking the time to share such an amazing rating and review with us. Well, Blessed Nation, if you're listening on iTunes, I want to invite you to leave a review of your own. And it's really not quite hard to do. It's just a couple of steps. If you're in the iTunes store, just go to the search icon and and type in your blessed life. If you're using the podcast app on your smart device, type in your blessed life. If you already subscribe to the show, you can't click on the art. You have to type it in the search bar, your blessed life. Then it'll bring up the cover art, the same one you have on if you're subscribed to it. But that's where iTunes wants you to click on it from the search bar. So you click on it and then you'll see the ratings and review tab right next to it. You click on that, you write your review. And from there, you just jump down to uh, hitting the number of stars that you want. It's one through five. You just click on them and you're done. So thank you so much for taking the time to rate and review the show. And thank you for tuning into today's show. I look forward to sharing that next episode with you. Until that next episode comes out, I want to leave you with this very important point. And it's this, that God loves you. God is seeking you. He is looking for you. He loves you and he wants to bless you.